The November WASD offers a few surprises, and with most of the 2022 crop in the bin, there's new factors to watch as 2023 approaches. That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. The November WASD dropped Wednesday, November 9th, offering just a few surprises for a market that was expecting USDA to hold steady from the October numbers. With more than 90% of the 2022 crop out of the field already, the department is honing in, making minor adjustments to the crop size, but not enough to relieve the incredibly tight supply situation across all the major grains. DTN's lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to highlight these adjustments and where they're likely coming from, and to discuss how the latest figures fit in with earlier estimates related to the hot and dry season. We'll dig into the shifting demand picture, highlight energy markets as Crush continues to push prices higher, and check in on export figures that have been disrupted by low water levels along the Mississippi. Then we'll look ahead to the winter season and talk staying on top of the market news that matters in the offseason, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by the 2022 DTN Ag Summit, this year happening virtually. Here's Katie Dellinger for a little bit more on the agenda and how to register. I'm really excited about this year's Ag Summit. We've got a good lineup of people, including CHS's Gary Halverson. He's really going to speak with us about some of the different risks and uncertainty in the marketplace today, what farmers can do to navigate this environment where things are just incredibly volatile. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to say and share. And I'm also really excited about the conversation we're gonna have with former Minnesota Representative Colin Peterson and Kansas Senator Pat Roberts talking about the next Farm Bill and the Farm Bill discussion. I think there's some interesting conversations coming down that pike, especially with the Biden administration and the direction that the Agriculture Department looks like they want to head as far as some of these issues around sustainability. We'll also have a really good session on carbon credits with a farmer or two sharing their experience as well as representatives from a couple of different companies and projects about how farmers can maximize or at least find a way to see if carbon credits are the right fit for their business and what the right avenue for those might be. And I also want to remind everyone we're doing Ag Summit virtually this year, so there's no need to travel. You can enjoy and partake in all this great content from the comfort of your home, and we look forward to seeing everyone there. Registration is open. It is at dtn.com slash agsummit. You can find all of the details there, including more about what's on the agenda. Visit the website to find out more about how you can attend this year's 2022 DTN Ag Summit. Now, back to the show. DTN's lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to discuss the November world supply and demand estimates. Todd, talk a little bit about the lead up to this report and what the expectations were from the market in terms of what USDA was going to update this month. Sure. Of course, the thing everybody wants to know is what's the crop size this year. And November is kind of the last effort on USDA's part to come up with a surprise if there is one. The crop is 
pretty much 90% or more harvested on both corn and beans by now. So we're at the late stages this year, especially since it's been so dry, harvest has gone quickly. There hasn't really been any big weather hurdles to speak of yet. Things have gone pretty quick. And like I say, if there was going to be a surprise on the harvest estimate, it would have showed up in today's numbers, but we just got very small tweaks to the crop estimates. And so I think it's fair to say we can be pretty confident about the size of this year's corn and bean crops headed into the new season. The other issue, we've seen a very slow start to corn export sales. And of course, there's a lot of concern about the water levels on the Mississippi River really messing things up and making it difficult to move grain this year. But as we'll see, USDA stood pat on the export estimates for all three big crops. And I think that was actually not too bad of a decision, but I'm sure we'll get more into that. We will definitely talk about all of the export news and what is happening out in the world. But yeah, I want to start with those little tweaks. i not breaking anyone's conception of reality at all, but I feel like we the expectation going into this report was that maybe nothing at all is going to change. Talk a little bit about what happened and what were these tweaks? What were they about? Yeah, the, the hot and dry weather hit to this year's crops, I think is pretty well known and anticipated this year. And so we are dealing with smaller crops than what we saw a year ago. But in the case of corn, USDA came up with a new estimate of 13.93 billion bushels. That's 35 million bushels higher than what they said in October. Again, that's not a huge change, but slightly higher. The corn yield now stands at 172.3 bushels an acre. That's up from 179 in October. On the soybean side, we saw a similar slightly higher crop increase, 4346 billion bushels of soybeans. I think that's the third largest uh, U.S. crop on record. That was a 33 million bushel increase. So again, a small adjustment higher from October, but nothing that would really shake up markets. I want to get into some specifics on the corn side. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the kind of demand picture at the moment. Expectations that maybe we were pretty set and we understood where levels were, where overall stocks were, and then where that was going to get used, but it seems like USDA had a few updates for us. Yeah. So the demand side for corn, uh, keep in mind that the, the basis in corn is still at its strongest level in over 10 years. So in the big picture, corn demand is doing very well. And when we look at where the, the best cash bids are, they're coming out of the Southwestern Plains where they've been hit hard by drought and those livestock and feedlots need corn and hay for their cattle. So they're paying $7 or higher in Kansas and Nebraska, parts of Missouri. They're paying $8 and higher around the Texas panhandle. So that's really supporting the, the demand structure for corn this year. The bearish side is the Mississippi River. The corn bids along the river from Minneapolis down to the lower Mississippi River are in the low sixes. And there's just not much corn moving. Of course, this is the time of year when soybeans get priority. When it comes to movement on the river, corn's having to hang back. And if all that weren't enough, we're not really selling that much corn on the export market anyway, because Brazil had such a good crop this summer that their prices are still about 12 or 13% cheaper than our U.S. corn prices. So they're winning the export game right now. But I only expect that to last maybe a couple more months. The third leg of demand is ethanol demand, and we saw a real sluggish period from August to October in ethanol demand, but now we're starting to pick up again. 
Today, we had a, a new weekly report from the Energy Department. It's the fourth consecutive week we've seen ethanol production back above a million barrels a day. And there are signs that refiners need more ethanol and or RINs to meet their blending requirements. So the, thing, the future, I think, is looking a little brighter for ethanol demand from here. But as I say, overall basis remains very strong for corn. And so I don't think it was all that bad of an idea for USDA not to reduce the export estimate today, because really, if we are going to have a shot at exports this year, it's going to come in the first half of 2023. Now is just really not a time that we would normally do well on the sales front. Well, let's hop over to soybeans and talk a little bit about what's going on there. What's the uh, stocks picture overall look like for soybeans and then what it, what's pressing on the demand side? Obviously, that's been more the talk this year, but where's USDA on their update? Yeah, well, with that slightly larger crop estimate, the new ending stocks estimate for soybeans is 220 million bushels. That's up just 20 million bushels from a month ago. It's still a very tight situation that we're looking at. It's the lowest ending stocks estimate in seven years that we've seen from USDA. So that remains very positive as far as soybean prices moving forward. The demand side, I can't imagine. Probably the only way the demand side could be even any more bullish than it is right now is if China was just desperately buying soybeans hand and fist, which they're not. They've been active and we've seen more purchases from China this week, but they're keeping, I'd say, up kind of a moderate pace of buying. Everybody knows it's looking early, like Brazil's going to have a big crop in early 2023. So I think that might be toning down the export sales right now in our soybean market. The It's the crush side of the market that just continues to kill it. Record incentives for the crush, strong demand for both soybean meal and record demand for soybean oil has the crush incentive at its highest levels uh, on record for soybean processors. So they could not be sitting in a better environment. And of course, we saw some quarterly reports recently, like for instance, ADM came out and they earned over a billion dollars in the third quarter, the most, the, the best third quarter they've ever had. It was largely due to these soybean crushing margins and the margins have only gotten better since that quarterly report came out. So that continues just to be a very strong source of demand for soybeans. Talk a little bit about the soybean basis. I imagine that the river is having the biggest impact there. As you look ahead, how much that transportation, I don't know, I feel like we've gone from one kind of disruption to the next (laughs) over the last two years, but it seems like it could be until the spring when there's enough water in the river to get back to some kind of regular flow of barge traffic. Talk to us about soybean basis. And then I imagine a big part of that discussion is river related. Yes. The soybean basis picture, it's a little different than corn in that really the cash bids for soybeans are spread out fairly evenly across the entire Midwest. The only exception being along the Mississippi River where bids are lower. But overall, our DTN soybean index is at $14.16 on Tuesday night. And basically just about everywhere you go, you bids in the low $14 area. So it's spread out fairly evenly. The basis is 31 cents below the January contract. Like corn, that's now the strongest in over 10 years for this time of year. So it's a phenomenally strong basis. And of course, I would say I would contest that it's crushed demand that's largely holding that up. 
the river traffic actually has been pretty encouraging for soybeans. In spite of the barge restrictions, commercials have done a very good job of moving soybeans along to their destinations. And of course, it helps to have the PNW provide support, but also just even the traffic being prioritized for soybeans moving down the river. I'd say hats off to the guys that are dredging the river in all those difficult spots because it seems like they've been working night and day to keep this grain movement going. And I think it really shows up in the soybean movement that we're seeing. So it's soybean prices really not being penalized by the river situation as much as we would maybe would have feared a few weeks ago. I want to ask a big picture corn and soybean question before we move on. It was interesting to see USDA bump up the crop number a little bit after we had, I, we've talked for the last several months about the grow intelligence figures and things being, USDA being maybe a little optimistic about what the crop looked like. Put that in some context for us. Is it, was this, is just, this just like a late season boost that the crop actually really did experience? Or do you expect these numbers to continue maybe to get finessed until January <laughs> or w- what's happening there? I think at this point, I would give the edge to USDA is probably being the more accurate estimate. And hats off to grow this year, especially for identifying the problems in the corn yield as early as they did before anybody else really showed up. But it looks like their soybean yield number, which it came out in September was the last one I saw. So I think it was around the low 48 bushel area, if I remember right. So it looks like they're going to be on the low end of their estimates. So they still have some work to do on that model, perhaps. But I don't think we'll see much surprise between now and the January estimate on soybeans. Let's hop over to wheat. Wheat is coming into its key, some key parts of its season. Talk to us about what USDA updated in terms of this report on the wheat stocks. Yeah, honestly, there's not much to talk about. They reduced the ending stocks for U.S. wheat by 5 million bushels. They went from 576 to 571. It's still the tightest situation in 15 years for U.S. wheat supplies. And of course, keep in mind, this does not include the planting problems that we're having for the winter wheat crop, which is next season's crop to be harvested in 2023. So this is uh, even before we get to those potential problems, we've got very tight wheat supplies heading into this winter. USDA did increase the food demand estimate slightly by 7 million bushels, but these are just very minor tweaks. The overall picture is still a, a very tight market for both US and global supplies. And we'll talk a little bit more about wheat when we talk about some of the global picture, but let me check in on livestock. Anything surprise you in USDA's update there? Um, On livestock, I think the thing that jumped out was that for the fourth quarter, beef production was increased by 215 million pounds. We've seen very strong slaughter levels lately, and they just don't seem to be backing off or moderating at all, in spite of the fact that at some point here, we're having fewer supplies of available cattle available. And I think that's what's really been helping pull up the cash prices. There was an acknowledgement of better cash prices from USDA for cattle. We're looking at a cash average of 152 now in the fourth quarter, 153 in the first quarter. Really, I think USDA is playing catch up to where the market's actually at because we did have a 152 unweighted average just last week. At least they are supporting what's happening now. 
I want to circle back to talk a little bit. So you've talked about Latin America and where the picture for them is at and how they're affecting international supplies. I was intrigued to see that USDA held its estimates for Russia and Ukraine stocks for the moment. There has been some news updates from the Black Sea region and potentially some, I don't know, it's going to have a deal is going to happen and it's not going to happen. And it's every three days, everyone <laughs> changes their mind. But yeah, I'm curious how you're taking those wheat and corn numbers in particular into account when you're looking at global stocks at the moment. Yeah, the, the on again, off again news about the Ukrainian grain deal. It reminds me a lot of the tariff days with China. We're like every other week, we're close to a deal. We're not close to a deal. And it seems to be playing that back and forth again all the time. Overall, I won't be surprised if Russia does finally relent to allowing this deal to continue. And I think the reason, the main reason that Russia wants it and needs it to continue is because they need help exporting their own grain. And if they agree to this, they supposedly will get some cooperation from the West. But of course, that's part of what they're negotiating about. So they keep going back and forth over that. In the meantime, Ukraine remains as dangerous a place as ever. The fighting in eastern Ukraine is intense. It's obviously hurt winter wheat planting ability this year. Their winter wheat crop may be some estimates are saying 40% less than last year. I wouldn't be surprised if it's not less than half by the time we get to next year. Uh, but it's con continues to be an extremely difficult situation all the way around. And it's just hard to ignore that. I think I've had a disappointment lately that wheat prices have just kept sagging lower. They just aren't responding to the fact of how tight global supplies and U.S. wheat supplies actually are and the fact that we're headed into a winter with not much excess wheat available. And when end users come to buy their wheat, there's not going to be a lot out there. They're going to have to bid up for these uh, supplies, in my view. But one side of the market, and that is the non-commercials or the speculative side of the market, I think they are just not interested in participating in the long side of wheat in this war situation. Uh, and and I get it, speculators get spooked out by situations they can't control. And this is definitely a situation that they could definitely not feel in control of. If the wheat price is going to go higher, it's going to have to do it on old-fashioned supply and demand. And I just don't think we'll see that until we get more into December and then the winter months. Speaking of the winter months, that's a great transition to it's November. As you mentioned, the crop is mostly in the bin at this point. I'm curious how you are, as you maybe wrap up the 2022 year, what are you watching in terms of factors that are going to be driving prices for the next four months? Yes. You can't let a day go by without checking on the events in Ukraine because it's such a dangerous spot. And by the way, that nuclear plant in Ukraine, it's just one day it's unplugged, the next day it's on diesel, and the next day they get it plugged back in again. But it, <laughs> to have such a serious situation in such a precarious spot, just one one quick thing overnight, and we could have a much more dramatic, serious situation on our hands in terms of who's going to want grain from Ukraine if the whole place has been exposed to excessive radiation levels. And that would just flip these markets upside down. And I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I'm just trying to point out on what a fine tight wire these markets are from the Ukraine situation. Other than that, if we can set Ukraine aside for a little bit, 
I'm just really considering more the seasonal flows of supplies. So as you say, we've got corn and soybeans put away in the bins here shortly. And uh, once they're in the bins, they're probably going to sit there for a little bit, at least until January, you get to a new tax year. And from that point, if the market wants that corn and soybeans, they're going to have to bid up to get it. And in the case of soybeans, that next crop from Brazil comes in roughly February. Um, so there's not a big time window there before we can get some competition. But in the case of corn, Brazil's next big corn crop doesn't come until July. So we've got a good six months of letting demand come to the producer or the supplier uh, of corn. And so I think that puts producers of both corn and wheat in very good positions to have a tight supply situation, the grain stored away. And if anybody wants it, they have to come knock on my door. I really appreciate the point you were making on the tightrope, I think you called it, that we're walking in maybe in Ukraine. But I think that there's a number of things that are out there right now, right? Where it's like a scale of risk problem, where it's maybe it won't be cold in Europe this winter and all of the energy (laughs) prices will be fine. But if it isn't, if that isn't true, how many more multiples can you afford fertilizer at? Yeah. Um, So I'm curious how you think about those kind of risk factors out there. And do you have a strategy for keeping track of them? It's like you have to be aware of the possibilities, but it's almost beyond the pale of predictability. (laughs) It's just a very, very tough call. And in the case of fertilizer, you're right. We have a very tight energy situation, which generally is good news for ethanol and biofuel demand and, and has been supportive for corn and soybean prices in that regard, but on the fertilizer supply situation, it's tough. We have seen fertilizer prices come down somewhat this fall as they seasonally do. Of course, it's still way more expensive than anybody wants to pay. Don't get me wrong there. But I think there has been an effort domestically to try to ramp up that fertilizer production as much as possible. And we've seen natural gas prices in the U.S. become fairly reasonable lately. They're off of their highs, and that's not been so bad. In the case of Europe, where the energy is much tighter, that's where the fertilizer production has really been pinched. It looks like Europe has made a good effort to at least get their natural gas supplies in storage as much as they can. So they can possibly eke through if it's a mild winter or not too bad of a winter, they can maybe get through this okay, but they continue to be in a much more difficult spot than we do when it comes to energy prices and trying to manufacture things like fertilizer in this environment. So you're right, it's a tough situation and I don't always have, I don't always have real confident answers for how this thing's going to go. Other than I wouldn't be surprised if we're not still dealing with very expensive fertilizer prices in the spring. I think one other big question, which is what's happening in the broader economy? Obviously, markets were temporarily had some cold feet. The U.S. is in the midst of a midterm election process, which we'll talk about with Chris Clayton later next week. (laughs) But we do have the Fed has raised interest rates yet again. Interestingly, It feels like people are talking less about recession than they were. I'm curious how, when you are looking at like the next 12, 18 months in the broader economy and how that might interact with the ag markets, what are you thinking? What are you watching in terms of inflation, rate hikes, that that whole picture that seems very unpredictable at the moment? 
Yeah, I'm still very concerned that the Federal Reserve thinks that they can solve this problem with higher interest rates. And I just don't think that's realistic. And I'm concerned that they're going to take rates higher than they need to be and not achieve their goal. So we're going to suffer not only high prices of energy and food on one hand, but we're also going to have high interest rates squelching and pinching the economy on the other and not really solving this problem of high food and energy prices because it's not the traditional type of inflation thing that lends itself to the Fed solving the problem. Again, this, these are production problems. The Fed cannot erase drought. The Fed, as far as I know, can't tell Putin to take his toys and go home and let the world try to produce and grow grain in peace. And so the Fed can cause pain, and that's my concern. And they do seem intent in their rhetoric, at least in the policy statement so far, that they're willing to continue to ratchet up rates. And I don't, I wouldn't say they've gone too far yet, but you know, if they get like six percent and higher, they may slow down the breathing of the economy so, and the heartbeat of the patient. But they're, I don't think they're actually curing the patient. And so that's my concern with the. Just hope they don't overdo it. You talked a little bit to, we're having record high prices right at harvest, usually bad time for prices. Things are looking good right now. I've started to hear folks in ag start to talk about how high could prices go, especially what happens when the Northern Hemisphere is in the midst of winter and everyone suddenly realizes how tight those wheat stocks are. What is the potential for how things get crazy? I could imagine a lot of situations where high prices become just terribly disruptive, not just to like, obviously people eating, which is a huge problem and should be our top priority, but even we use wheat for other things other than just eating. We use corn for other things besides feeding livestock. At what corn price do we stop making ethanol altogether? I could imagine situations where we're being pushed to make that kind of decision before we even get to being able to plant another crop next year. I'm curious if any of that kind of thing is on your mind as you hear people start to talk about how high could the price go? Yeah, that's always a difficult question to answer because when you get into a tight supply situation, there's a certain level of emotion to the market that ratchets up. So our anxiety levels all go up. And if you're a livestock producer that has this big feedlot full of cattle and you see the prices of hay and our corn going up, up, obviously those stress levels go up and sometimes they will keep bidding that thing higher. It can, this psychological dynamic can feed on itself. And especially if speculators like sharks in the water sense this and dive in and add to those pressures, it can become a very dangerous market in that way for businesses that actually need the substances that they're buying. You're you're right to be concerned. And the it's like the stage is set for that possibility. And I would include energy supplies in that as well as grain supplies. At what price of corn does corn not become economical for ethanol? It depends on the price of gasoline and how much gasoline we're selling too. So they they all go together and they can feed off of each other if things get dangerous. And depending on just how much speculators jump in and add to it, super, super tough question to answer. And we've seen in the history of markets, we see sometimes these huge, crazy spikes that go much farther than anyone expected. And usually it's that type of a situation that starts as a situation where supplies were getting tight and then this anxiety and worry build up around it and the fever broke. 
between now and maybe USDA's final report next year, what are you watching for this winter? What do you think is going to matter in terms of new information coming out? Transportation and the movement of goods is a big deal. And thankfully, port congestion has really normalized, maybe partially to the economy and the world economy slowing down, but it's helped unravel that big congestion that we had in the West Coast ports. And at this time, they don't have waiting lines of ships and things like that. Just the workings of the economy moving again, the potential of COVID shutting down China again is always on the back burner. And obviously we get a lot of goods from China yet and depend on movement out of that country. And of course the Mississippi will be on our watch. Are we going to have to wait all the way until spring to get enough rains to kind of normalize traffic on the Mississippi River? And the way the forecast looks right now, we might not see normal levels until spring. And hopefully in spring we will. So those will be constant things to watch. Of course, we'll have our eyes on South American crops. Brazil's next soybean crop looks like another big uh, record breaker. And by the way, if it is another record breaker, I believe it's the it'll be the tenth record soybean crop that Brazil has had since 2010. So it's almost every year that we're seeing a new record crop come out of Brazil. So it's not a new thing, but their competition just gets a little stronger every year against us. So there'll be plenty of things to keep our eyes on. You can read Todd's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at DTNPF.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show.